0: You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible.
1: Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz
0: and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it.
1: Okay, so Mike, how many ways are there to screw up a well-functioning development shop?
0: Well, it depends who you are. If you put me in charge, there's there's a whole lot of ways to screw up a well-functioning development shop.
1: Been there, done that. You're going to talk today about some of the most typical ways that an organization that has a certain amount of momentum behind them can fail is a big word, right? But can lose that momentum and mess up the good things that they had going for them. Is that kind of it?
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about three things that set in once you become sort of successful quote unquote successful depending on how you define successful but sometimes or typically what happens is an organization when they're growing they're putting a lot of resources focused resources into growth and they've got a growth strategy and you know typically when an organization plateaus or when they're getting off the ground and they know hey it's time to do something different And they actually have a concerted effort to do something different and to grow. And it works and it starts to work and people are excited. And then after some time, after years of it working, the organization actually grows. With growth come a lot of necessary, but sometimes unhelpful processes you have to put in place. Okay. And not unhelpful. They're very necessary and they're helpful, but they can dampen growth if it becomes too much about the process in the system. And one day the organization might wake up and realize, hey, we've stalled out and we've we've plateaued and we're leaving a lot of money on the table. And remember that time when we grew really fast, weren't those the golden years? Remember those five years where it was like year over year growth? or those 10 years and they've they've done the right thing they've they've consistently over time done the right things and they've let this compounding of time do its thing and they become successful and established and they do have support it's not like they're going broke or like they're closing their doors but they're leaving a lot of money on the table because of these three things we're going to talk about today which come with growth and with success and with being established for years. So, I guess it's a bit of a I guess it's a bit of a warning for smaller orgs who want to grow that if you do go down that path, don't make these three mistakes.
1: Okay. Let's maybe clarify that I've seen this exactly this happen at really very different sizes of organizations. So even if you think, okay, well, we're relatively small in the big scheme of things, you can be here in, in this situation that Mike is gonna parse out for us, where maybe you have an established donor base. It's small, but it's very loyal. You can kind of count on them because you've done the right things over the, you know, the years, but you feel maybe like you're missing out on the potential, right? I have two questions, kind of taking a step back before going into the what happens when you plateau. Question number one is about this idea of growth, which maybe some people have second thoughts about or questions about. They're saying, okay, but does a nonprofit really need to grow all that much? You know, What's your perspective on that? Because I know it's super nuanced.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think you need to grow. I don't think you need to pursue growth for the sake of growth that's probably the worst kind of growth to pursue Mm -hmm. i think you need to pursue growth if you have a big hairy audacious goal like jim collins put it in good to great that you want to achieve and you're not there yet so if that requires growth you know that's the reason to grow growing for the sake of growing is I don't think ever a good reason there is this thing about, I don't entirely agree with that. You know, there's that thing like either you're growing or you're dying. Mm -hmm. I, I don't entirely agree with it, but I think I agree with the premise of that saying, which is if you're not dynamic, then slowly these things are going to, you know, entropy and you're going to wake up one morning and you can't move anymore because you weren't dynamic, you weren't moving. And so in in that case, yeah, you will always need to pursue a little bit of growth because not all your donors are gonna stick around with you forever. Not all your donors are going to be able to contribute at the level that they were contributing at. So so you are constantly, even if revenue-wise, you're staying fairly much the same, you are constantly trying to grow your file a little bit. And trying to get some new mid-level donors, trying to get some new major donors, depending on what your funding strategy is, trying to get some more foundations or grant grantors involved, just so that you don't sort of over time go backward.
1: Okay, because you said it at the beginning, growth can be a lot of things. Growth can also not only be about fundraising growth, or maybe even program growth, it can be about well, impact and very objectively, if maybe you've solved part of what you set out to do, growth can be transforming yourself mm-hmm. into an org that's solving a new problem or a different problem. I mean, and this is kind of the case of the type of organizations you're talking about today that have been there for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, the problem has to have changed over time. right? And if you come across these, blockers, these roadblocks, these issues that you're going to talk about, then you can't solve them effectively, right? You're solving an old problem. So then, you know, that so growth could be, we're staying at the same size, is just we're retooling for this new world that we live in.
0: Which is a great point is that these three things we're going to talk about might even be a symptom. It might not even be that you're leaving, I mean, you're leaving money on the table, but it might also be a symptom of, hey, maybe we need a new vision. Mm-hmm. Maybe these three things are a sign that the problem we're solving is still the old problem. Things have changed. Maybe we need to look at this in a different light.
1: Okay, so that was my first question. My second question for you, Mike, and I'm putting you totally on the spot. We hadn't planned any of this. Is about what things look like in that growth stage. Maybe so we can actually compare. Okay, well then, what stops happening when you get to that plateau stage? And you know, in the growth stage. For instance, you might have a really good fundraising strategy to market. I don't know what you call this nonprofit market. You know, a fundraising strategy market fit, Mm -hmm. where you're using the you know strategies that work very well for the team that you have and the stage of growth that you're in, and are are letting you advance. Right? We talk about this a little bit, and we've talked about doing some research around this. Right? Where a one million dollar org is going to typically you know, pursuing a set of strategies and that has to evolve over time, no? So what does grow? I've seen growth orgs that are very much brand driven or content driven. Mm-hmm. So they're actually providing real value. You would say even a ton of value to society, you know, and that's being recognized broadly as, you know, that they're building a brand and that leads to fundraising growth. What other things have you seen in in these growth organizations?
0: It's typically a little chaotic.
1: Mm-hmm. So internally, it feels like a hot mess.
0: Internally, it feels a little bit like a hot mess. And so th- that's why the three things we're going to talk about today are so dangerous, because internally, they provide a lot of stability. Mm-hmm. In, and if you have people on your team who like stability, who like to know exactly what you're going to be doing that day, who who like to know this is exactly the way we do things and only this way. Mm-hmm. those people don't do well in high growth environments because it's not healthy for them. It feels chaotic. It feels like there's uncertainty mm-hmm. um, because you know, one day, and even even if there's a very focused growth strategy, because as you're starting to grow, a lot of opportunities come your way. And somebody who's pushing for growth is going to decide to pursue some of those opportunities. Of mm-hmm. course, a disciplined leader is going to say no to most opportunities to focus on the ones that they think have the longest long-term sort of upside. But even so, yeah. there's there's Far. lots of things that come along with growth, yeah, including once you start growing, people to take notice you get better applicants for the jobs that you're posting as well. And you attract people who are kind of into that. Some of those people are very much like go, 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 go. They're go-getters, go-givers. They want to be part of this exciting thing. And so mm-hmm. even your internal culture, as you, and if you're in a high growth environment, even the internal culture might start to change a little bit. And some of your staff might feel like this is not the same place it used to be. That uh-huh. might be a very good thing, but still, change is always. It's not good or bad; it just is, yeah. and it brings yeah. about some good things, and sometimes it brings about some bad things, depending on how you. So, are. something
1: I've read, Mike, about these growth environments is that there's like a profile of person that's the zero to one person, which is kind of this startup to we're we're getting everything into shape and that starts to change as you maybe attract those applicants that look much better on paper they come from the prestigious organizations mm-hmm. in your sector but they're really more maintainers than builders you no know? and that also changes the culture you no know? and
0: yeah and in 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 later stage growth you as the leader might feel like We've done this with a ragtag group of people who've never done this before. And now we need some adults in the room. And you might be like, oh, I should hire a proper VP. I should hire a proper CEO. I should hire proper whatever. And you make these big hires that that are very expensive. And sometimes they come from very stable environments where they had assistants and they had a whole team and when they come in, they want a big budget. Not only like, not only might they be expensive, but they're expecting a budget. At their previous place, they had $500,000 a year to spend on initiatives.
1: Mm-hmm. They need systems in place. They're going to drag the whole department or a whole organization through a reorg several times. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I think we've hyped the three things that can get you in trouble once you have some momentum behind you. Are you able to quantify exactly when this kicks in? So either in years or in dollars or in steam size? No. Okay.
0: No. Maybe maybe as you and I as you and I keep working with orgs, this is one of those things. Like you and I are debating, hey, what area of research should we undertake with clients? This might be one of them. I know we're we're talking about stages of growth is one of the things that that we're we're likely going to spend some time researching in our careers. So so maybe, maybe this will be part of it. But no, at this point, no, not at all.
1: Um, okay. Oh, we didn't mention kind of the big macro issue that fundraising has not been able to break through what is it, at least in the state, 2.5, I don't know, somewhere yeah, between 2.5% percent percent of percent
0: GDP, yeah,
1: of G- uh, Yeah, of the gross, gross domestic product. So yes, we fundraise more every year, but the economy is also growing. So proportionally, we've really stuck at the same level for decades. It's been very predictable, almost. Hence why Mike and I think, well, we need more understanding behind nonprofit growth, donor growth. So that's kind of the big wrapper for this conversation and honestly yeah. the whole podcast the whole podcast.
0: Yeah and I'm glad you said before do we need to pursue growth and does it have to be growth of revenue? No we we not the point here is not you need new donors you need new donors grow donor base grow donor base or grow revenue grow revenue. No there's other ways to grow. I do believe in eternal growth. I don't believe in internal economic growth. But like you and I, Lewis and anybody else born on this earth can eternally grow in knowledge and in wisdom. And like, there's always more to learn and there's always more to grow. So even like, hey, do we want to grow the, the capacity of our team to do better work? You know, before we do more work, shouldn't we do work better? Once we do it better, we can do more of it. Once we've done more of it, maybe we can take on new things. So better, more new, right? Maybe that's another podcast altogether.
1: (laughs) He's coming up with another framework. People, you heard it live right here. It happened here with you on the Donor Growth Podcast. And objectively, I think if we looked at the size of the problems that nonprofits are against, we definitely need some type of more. They're not saying that there's only one type of more, but some type of growth. Because the problems are absolutely huge and and lots of places were objectively doing a pretty poor job right. at solving them, still, despite our valiant efforts. Okay, yeah. we've hyped this enough. You call these the ABCs of fundraising failure. Cue the ominous music, Halloween type stuff.
0: Yeah, taking a page out of your book here and using alliteration. Mm. Notice you you use a lot of alliteration.
1: Yeah. ChatGPT is great for that. It will also write great sonnets on the life of a fundraiser. You feel Shakespearean and however fundraisers feel at the same time.
0: Yep. So here are the ABCs of fundraising failure. A is arrogance. B is bureaucracy. And C is complacency. End of show. Okay. <laughs>
1: Let's parse this a little bit. You started with really big words. Where does this concept come from? Is it a Mike Dorkson thing?
0: No, this is, I'm not entirely sure. Jeff Bezos has sometimes talked about these three things. I I know Warren Buffett has also talked about them. I don't know if Bezos was referencing Warren Buffett. I don't know if Buffett came up with these, but these are three topics. Both of them talk about a lot. Jeff Bezos, Amazon shareholder letters are available publicly publicly. Almost anything Warren Buffett has ever said is available publicly. So, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> they're... same as with us. It's absolutely creepy.
0: Yeah, but this is it comes likely from Warren Buffett. But but Jeff. Bezos okay, great. Yeah.
1: Explain the first one. I, I have some questions about this. So arrogance. What happens okay. when an organization has started to grow? Re- got some wind behind its back. And then you say arrogance sometimes kicks in.
0: Yeah, you become established. you won awards. Maybe you've gotten a gift from Mackenzie Scott. Maybe you've gotten a grant from the Gates Foundation. Maybe you've been recognized by the governor of your state, or maybe you were a CNN hero. Maybe your institution has been around for 100 years and, and you have all these story tales of important people that graduated from your university and went on to turn Chrysler around or went on to design the iPhone or like, you know, you become this hallowed institution that that is like a real staple of not only the local community, but the country or the state. And mm-hmm. people know your name and there's a brand behind it. And mm-hmm. You become arrogant about it because you no longer think that you need to earn support. You think you've earned it already. You've you've done doing the earning. Now people should just support you because you're awesome. And it's easy to feel that way because, hey, I used to work at a larger shop that was known locally. And when I called somebody, they always called me back because I was calling from such and such org. Then I went to a tiny org that nobody knew, like nobody, like 200 people knew about it. And that's it in the whole world. And nobody would call me back because who are you? Right. Mm -hmm. So it is easy to feel when you're at a big shop and you tell people where you work, they're like, oh yeah, that must be so rewarding. Oh, you do such good work. Oh, Like it's easy for that arrogance to sit in Mm -hmm. and it's easy for people to be sitting around the boardroom. And forget about the voice of the donor or forget about the voice of the community or even forget about the people that they're trying to help or that are clients or that are beneficiaries because we're awesome. We've earned it. Uh, yeah. and if we weren't awesome, we wouldn't be here. Clearly, we've done something very right. We should get mm-hmm. the accolades for it.
1: Yeah, totally. A couple of pieces to like observations that I've seen in in real life, trademark. Sometimes this happens because those who grew the organization or who have been selected into positions of leadership in the organization live in something of a bubble. With those, with people who have been involved with the org from the beginning, it's kind of that circle of trust. Some people talk about it or explain it as trust inequality, which is a broader societal thing. But Mm. also the people in that bubble, if they're your board members, tend to be more high net worth, who tend to trust established institutions more. But everybody else in your org is not living in that bubble. They're living in a more, in, in a low trust environment, right? And so then you kind of, I mean, the arrogance is kind of a natural development out of out of this where you have this group of people that you trust and like and they trust and like you and you you feel like you can still take the world on with them but everybody else starts to kind of be against you you're mm-hmm. you know the organization is telling you look that's not what we're hearing when we call donors when donors call us when we do events you know we're not hearing what you're saying we should be hearing and they they become entrenched so I've seen that dynamic play out frequently enough that I, I feel it's related to your arrogance piece.
0: Yeah. And we're talking about successful institutions, right? Like exactly. these are not, we're, exactly. we're talking about you get to a place where where time has done the, its compounding thing and you are successful and you're not going to close your doors tomorrow. Like if anything, this would be a managed decline over the next 20 years. So you're not like in immediate danger of closing your doors. Things are still working relatively well. Uh-huh. Uh, so it so you don't have that urgency of shoot we're doing something wrong and your leadership might even be like the circle of supporters they hang out with and they visit and they hear from that circle of supporters might share that arrogance right mm-hmm. so the top 50 donors or the top 20 donors to your institution might be okay with that arrogance because they feel it too they might think well we're part of the best institution in the world and we would never give anywhere else because you know where yeah, right, exactly. right. like exactly yeah. it, like it's also become part of their identity as well
1: and that's um, when you start to hear that well if only more people knew about us they would give right and then you start to push that down to the rank and file fundraisers and they're like no nope. <laughs> we need you know to fix lots of things first yeah. Um, yeah i have a small quibble with the word arrogance and i don't know how you do that because you need to have abc and it has to be memorable but I do see that when this dynamic starts to play out, everybody's calling each other arrogant. You know, so like people who believe that they are in the know are telling the others that they're arrogant, and but it's it's also coming back at them. You know, everybody. So it can be kind of a loaded word. I hope people understand kind of the broader interpretation of this. It's a you know a short, memorable way to describe this kind of complex dynamic but it's a very true thing too so we at least we believe this dynamic actually happens yeah
0: yeah you're starting to mess with the acronym here with with the i
1: know sorry it's not as sexy i'm like those linkedin commenters well actually it's not seven ways that you can thank donors there's actually seven and a half and you know i mean yeah. you know ah. all right
0: You know, at conferences after presentation, are you the person who goes technically not a question, a more of a
1: comment and (laughs) sit down for the next 15 minutes? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, fair, fair point. Arrogance is a very loaded word. The moment you say you're arrogant, you're not getting anywhere. You've shut down the entire conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's Um... complicated and it's easy for, I mean, easy, nothing's easy, but Yes, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos can say it and you have implicit trust in that they have kind of seen it and experienced it. Some people would call them American, you know. So yep, still sure. it's it's a shorthand. Shorthand for a specific yep. type of situation that's preventing continued growth. Let's just leave yeah. it at that, no. Yeah, for sure. Next one, A, B, bureaucracy.
0: Uh, yeah, B stands for bureaucracy and we have actually we have two episodes on bureaucracy one of them is kind of positive which is why you need processes and systems and one of them is kind of negative which is like don't overcomplicate this and you need to be nimble and be able to iterate fast so here's (laughs) bureaucracy is again a bit of a loaded word because a lot of bureaucracy is actually good right and
1: we're big believers in process right and we're saying that Really, nonprofits at every growth stage should be thinking about process. So, yeah, I get it.
0: Yeah. The where it crosses over from process being helpful to it being hindering is when the process itself becomes the outcome. So, when we are more worried about following process and that is success, did we follow process rather than when we are worried about Is this the right process to enable success? The outcome is this. What process do we need to get to the outcome? That is a healthy way of looking at process rather than the process is this. If we follow process, that is the outcome. Yeah, I'm
1: doing my piece of it. I mean, this also happens when you start to grow and then you start to have people being in charge of different pieces of the process and that's their job. So then, yes, the process becomes their goal. So this kind of avoiding this kind of requires big picture view. How can people avoid this? I doubt as we both grow our own organizations, you know, I, I start to mm-hmm. think about these things. Is there a way to help people keep their eyes, you know, on the on the goal, yeah. you know, on the big picture?
0: So we did a podcast episode called The Role of the Nonprofit CEO. Mm-hmm. It was one of our earlier ones, which is episode number 10, I think. And I think we're due for the role of a nonprofit COO because the role of the nonprofit CEO is future value. And the role of the COO is is integrating that into the org. And I think the role of the COO is to be like, hey, here's the thing that the CEO or president whatever here's this like vision we're trying to move toward do our current processes enable that or not and that needs to be audited regularly because one day you're going to wake up and somebody says well i followed process i did my part and the other person says and i did my part and the other person says and i did my part together we all followed process it didn't get us anywhere because the process should have changed two years ago. And it's no longer serving the organization. But along with that comes the threat of the job changes. The job might be eliminated.
1: It's doing something different. Tremendous doing, resistance.
0: Doing something different. What are the downstream effects? And you get caught in this. If you've ever had a meeting about process, they're incredibly frustrating. Because every person says, well, what about this? Have you considered this? I don't know how I feel about this, and you walk away thinking, if I change this one thing, I'm facing 120 problems. These people just identified 120 things that changing this one process would would sort of affect negatively, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's easier to not, because it's still it not- remember it's still working well enough. That's the, the thing. doors and- aren't closing, and that's the dangerous thing, because. Process brings stability. And if we don't change it, like things seem to actually be working well internally. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
0: we're not growing very fast, but we're not closing our doors. We grew 5% last year. We're growing 2% this year. And, you know, next year we might grow 1% or we might grow 2% again. And things are fine. They're okay. Maybe we're not achieving the big vision we want to achieve. Maybe we need a new vision, but internally, at least things are stable. Right. That's the that's the, the danger of bureaucracy is that it does mask non-progress. Yeah, uh, it looks like you are chugging along.
1: Let me bring out another aspect, which is how it reinforces power structures. So when you start to grow, you know, there's seemingly an increased need for control. Now I have all you know, it used to be just us five and we were delivering food directly to people who needed it. Now it's a team of a hundred. How can I even, you know, control this, honestly? And there's there's a writer I really love. She's called Donella Meadows. She writes about systems thinking. She even started an institute that fundraises uh, the development officers. I'm connected with, with her on LinkedIn. And he writes about when there's a complex system and there's structures that kind of direct that, you know, you you start with the workers, but then you have too many and you have to organize them. So you create a superstructure on top of them. Mm -hmm. And what often happens is that those superstructures forget that their role is at the service of the, you know, of the workers, those who are actually doing the mission, in touch with donors, in touch with program recipients, you know, changing the world, but it's, they very often forget about it. And they start building bureaucracy and processes that are self-serving, that reinforce their function. And uh, you know, I, I guess this just needs inspired leadership, folks who listen to the Donor Growth Podcast to say, hey, maybe we should turn it around. What are the processes that could support our frontline people Yeah. Uh, versus how do we tell our frontline people what to do? Yeah. I don't know that there's a solution. This is very complex, obviously, but uh, a yeah. great leadership problem to think about.
0: In the, I think it's in the 1997 shareholder letter that Jeff Bezos wrote, he talks about a day one culture and that's the first time he introduces it. And then he keeps talking about it for years and years, which is basically just like he was really scared of ever having a day two culture. (laughs) Like a day one culture is like day one of starting the company where it's like you're really, really ambitious. You're willing to change on the drop of a dime if it means the success of the company, right? You're not married to any certain ideas you're doing really, experiments. really heavily.
1: Yeah, I understand yeah. the Amazon culture is very performance metric is the number of experiments you've done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're very, like at the beginning, you're just very customer obsessed or focused, right? Mm. Like you get one or two clients, you're like, I'm going to kill it for these clients. I'm going to do every so that they, they get a great testimonial out of it and they start referring other people. That's like day one culture. And I guess that changes over time.
1: uh, More ominous music. Very good. Okay. That leads us to complacency.
0: Yeah. And complacency might be one of those things that isn't as obvious. None of these are super obvious, but again, it's just like things are going fine. I don't think we need to push very hard. I don't think we need to work harder than we want to or should. Things are going mm-hmm. fine. And if something doesn't work out, that's okay. We're a big org. It's all right. Yeah,
1: Started related to the other points, right? A little bit of arrogance, a little bit of worsening the process, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see it. Okay. Let me say that I see this, Mike. I also see all the other like power dynamics. when. What's happening is that actually the organizational leadership is telling everybody else that they're too complacent. Yeah. You know, I kind of have, I don't want to see an issue with it. Right. But I kind of see where there's just a, kind of a dynamic that's not working. People aren't, everybody's not aligned toward the same goal.
0: Yeah. And to be clear, all the, like ABC here, the leadership issues starts mm. at the top. And of course, if you feel like the team is being complacent, well, that starts with you. Do you think you model that maybe? Do you think that's coming from somewhere? Yeah. Can you make some changes around that? And again, it's not to go around and be like, hey, guys, you're complacent. These are just like symptoms of if you as a leader wake up one day and you feel like, oh, you just feel like we're too complacent about this. Or why is there so much bureaucracy? It's very, very hard to self-identify arrogance in yourself. So that one is a little bit harder. Yeah, maybe, maybe you've lost that day one culture. Are yeah. you ready for a bonus? A, B, C, D. Are you ready for the, oh, the D bonus? This was
1: a new one. Literally, as we spoke today, he wrote it. Think of like the level of arrogance that two guys must have to just get on a podcast and start talking about things. And then they even make jokes, dad jokes. Other, uh, it's
0: Yeah. It, but uh, listen... You know, Listen, at least we didn't get complacent in the middle of the podcast. We're like, this framework needs a D. This is going to be the ABCD of fundraising failure.
1: Yeah. And hey, we had a process. We had a great, you know, bureaucratic structure to make this podcast happen. It stopped working because of some (laughs) weird issues with my Internet. And Mike very nimbly changed the process. And now we record this in another platform. So hopefully that's not hitting us yet, but there will be a day when we have a whole team of people editing, scripting this podcast. And if you want uh-huh. to change the platform, it's going to take like 10 meetings and you're going to say, okay, whatever. We'll just keep going with, you know, the bad thing that we had before.
0: Yeah. actually, I Honestly, I think we went the other way. I think this podcast had more bureaucracy at the beginning than now. Like I think we Ooh, the zen. earlier episodes, at first we were like, oh yeah, putting effort into the show notes. Now you log into Zoom on a Thursday morning and Mike put ABC on a Google Doc and you're like, what does that even mean? And, <laughs> and I'm like, it's the ABCs a fundraising failure. Let's go.
1: Yay. So that's very <laughs> Zen. We're combating the trend. Maybe there's a lesson there. Maybe the lesson is that sometimes when you're used to a super structured environment, the unstructured environment feels shoddy and low quality. That's why I have lots of issues with the word quality. Yeah, and that's weird. And but sometimes it's still the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, this is so. Look, sometimes when you work with an organization that has invested a lot in branding and marketing, and we come in and we're like, let's just send out a plain text email, and they're like, oh. nah, it's got to get the logo on there, it's got to get a banner on there, the button has to be the right color, and the button copy is usually three words or less and you know none of this is working for us why are we paying you for this this feels very poor quality <laughs> you're like well
1: yeah like optimized is actually mm-hmm. yeah i don't know less polished yeah it's complicated but before we get into that that mike put this in because he was noticing that i was getting a little bit defensive with his abcs so he wants to call me out what's this about
0: D is defensiveness. So if you've listened to these ABCs and you've gotten really defensive about any of these three, maybe that in and of itself is is a signal.
1: Oh, man, it's hard. Yes, I I don't know what to say. I think change is difficult and you certainly encounter resistance to it. I don't know Mm -hmm. how you overcome it without a whole lot of trauma which is what I see in organizations. Lots of times yep. they, we choose to not make the changes that would prevent these ABCs of fundraising failure because it feels very traumatic. Everybody would get very defensive. You need to have these really hard, difficult conversations. They were already threatening to leave because they were overworked. Now, yep. if you do this, it feels like you're just going to lose all the staff. Yeah, And I've seen this play out lots of times. So definitely an issue here. Do you have yeah. any solution
0: for this? Well, the big overarching problem, I think, of all of these is whether arrogance has set in, whether bureaucracy has creeped in, whether complacency has taken hold, or whether you're kind of defensive about all of these, is that the biggest symptom is that you are solving for internal problems and no longer for external problems. You're just solving for how can we appease our system? How can we appease these people? How can we make it so it's easy for us? How can we make sure donors hear what we want them to hear? And nobody is going, hey, who's talked to 10 donors lately? Or to 10 clients or to 10 beneficiaries or to 10 students? Or like who's done that recently? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, have, who's listening to the voice of the donor or the voice of the beneficiary? Because it seems like we're spending an awful lot of time trying to appease internal voices. And When this organization was founded on day one, it wasn't founded to appease internal voices. Nobody goes, you know, we founded this school to appease the VP of advancement, to do it their way. (laughs) It doesn't happen. We founded this org because young people in our society should be educated with these values and equipped for whatever. So I don't know. That's... Maybe if, you, if all you're doing is you're solving internal problems, forget about the ABC. Like that in itself is just the biggest symptom. Something's wrong.
1: Yeah. And sometimes that's really just intrinsic to the people that you've hired. So if you've hired people that are solving for making everybody like having peace, internal peace, and making sure that nobody's feeling defensive about things, that's one type of person. And absolutely wonderful and laudable goal. If you think that your direction is going to require overcoming some of this, that's going to be another type of person. Again, not to say that you have to create unnecessary upheaval or trauma or be disrespectful or you know none of that because a lot of that also happens in nonprofits, right? But just to say, to some people, this is it. Just comes inside of them. Mike, before we finish this show. I asked ChatGPT to keep going with the ABCs. You want to see what it's suggesting?
0: (laughs) I do want to see what it's suggesting.
1: Okay. It went all the way to Z. I don't know. You stopped me, okay? (laughs) So let's get started again. The ABCs of fundraising failure before you leave. The first four are human generated. The rest are not. A, arrogance. B, bureaucracy. C, complacency. D. defensiveness. E, evasion. F, false promises. G, greed, valuing profits over the mission. H, hesitation. I, ignorance. J, jealousy. This needs some background music, no?
0: (laughs) You're just being played out in the background.
1: (laughs) Hey, knavery. L, laziness folks there's lots of ways this thing can go Just wrong skip
0: skip right to z what's what's the last one? Oh, you want
1: to hear what z oh. okay it kind of cheated with x it said exclusion <laughs> okay why yieldlessness which is totally forcing it okay and z zealotry
0: Zealotry. Oh man, I I could not think of what Z might be. Well, that's it folks for today. That's the Donor Growth Podcast. You can find Luis Diaz on LinkedIn, me, myself, Mike Dirksen on LinkedIn. If you have something to contribute to this conversation, we'd love to hear from you. And also if you want to come on the show for a live consulting show where we just kind of talk about your fundraising, you're willing to share, let us know. We'd love to have you on.
1: Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and buildgood.com.
0: If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or
1: wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.